we're going to be looking at Genesis, so go ahead. We're not going to use the screen this morning, don't have that. So go ahead and look in your Bibles and get Genesis 3 out. Uh, we're going to be looking at Genesis 3, 1 through 5. And, and yeah, and just go ahead and get that out. And then later we're going to be looking in Matthew, um, see what Jesus says. Uh, but, but let's just go ahead and have that ready. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, my, uh, my great-granddaddy Austin and my granny, Gladys, um, and she was my great-grandmother, called her Granny, and, and she really fit the bill, too, because she had granny glasses with the, I mean, they just were, they had the metal frames pointed up to, I guess they were still left over from the 60s or whatever, what, like they were stylish at one point, you know, but they kind of curved and then they pointed up like that, and of course they had a chain so you could hang them around your neck, and anyway, and my great-granddaddy Austin, uh, he was, he fit the bill of a, of a West Texas farmer. You know, he had overalls, he had, and that's mostly what he wore. Uh, and he kind of looked like, if you've ever seen uh, the, uh, the painting by Grant Wood, the regionalist painting by Grant Wood called American Gothic, that has that house in the background with the sort of church window. And then it has the, uh, the old guy with the overall, ooh, better not knock over that expensive microphone, I'll stand over here. Uh, old guy with the pitchfork, right? And he's like peering into your soul, right? And then... There's the woman standing next to him, and she's kind of looking. And you, and you may have seen that painting or seen a parody of it or something like that. So great-granddaddy Austin kind of looked like, he looked like the man. He really did. And he always had that serious look on his face. Because back in the, in the day, when they, took those, when they took photographs, and there's, my mom has one on her dresser, they didn't smile with a big, goofy smile. You know, it's not like when you go to the studio now. Now, in the studio, things get, it goes one of two ways. You go either get really artsy like, oh, go into the studio, and then they try to get real artsy, make it black and white, and, and, and there's, you know, there's, there's, I don't know, everyone's wearing black and white stripes, and then there's stripes in the background or whatever. It gets artsy. Or, and so then you might have a serious look on your face, but it's more like, you know, you're a model. Or you go to, like, the kind of the, the cheaper kind of studio where, where the, the, the camera guy, it's like his second day, and, and he's not good with kids, you know, he's like, here, catch the ball, you know, whatever. Stop crying. And they're trying to take a picture. And then you, you finally get a picture of your family. And then that's what you send people for Christmas, and you've got it up on your mantle. And it's got the goofy smile. Everyone, you try to coordinate, you know, let's all wear khakis and plaid shirts or whatever. And so then you've got what you got. All right. It's, it wasn't that way back in the day. Back in the day, they're busy working hard they, uh, to survive. And this is how my granny and my great-granddaddy Austin were. So if you got a picture, you were lucky, and they weren't happy about it. I mean, they're standing there. They have a serious look on their face because life is serious. They had a farm in Nolan, Texas, which is at the lower part of the, of the, plain, the Great Plains uh, in, the, in the northern part of Texas, the little rectangle part, the panhandle. And um, it was a cotton farm. And in West Texas, uh, cotton farming is, is big. It's huge. And that's how they made a living. And cotton farming, uh, it was a small farm, not a big one. He didn't have a lot of, he didn't have, uh, you know, permanent farmhands working for him. He worked uh, that farm mostly by himself. If he had help, it was temporary. Uh, and, and so he would get out there on the tractor. And it wasn't the fancy kind with the air conditioning and stereos and GPSs and telling, you know, they automatically you don't even have to steer it. It wasn't like that. I'm not saying farming's easy even now, okay? Please don't hear me wrong. I'm just trying to describe the basic nature of this farm, the, just the bare bones nature of this farm. And they had a little house on this farm. And this is how he made his money, by growing cotton, getting a crop, it gets harvested, and he sells the bales of cotton. That's it. That, that is how he made his living. And my mom tells me this story, uh, and, and I've also heard it from my, my grandmother, uh, who was my great-granny's daughter, and my mom is her granddaughter. Um, and one, it's a story that always kind of, you know, it's gut-wrenching. It hurts my stomach just to hear it. He had worked really hard one particular uh, season, gotten a beautiful uh, harvest, uh, or, you know, of cotton. The cotton is fluffy. And when you drive around West Texas, you'll see this a lot. You'll look, you know, all around, you know, on the highway, and you'll, it'll just, it's white, which is a, a nice change from the just brown than it normally is. 
It's usually flat, brown. Uh, and it, it was white, fluffy. And uh, they were out the, in, outside, and they were staring at it. They were looking at it, just kind of proud. He was proud of, of what it, he, he was seeing the fruit of the labor of his hands. Kind of like, you know, Ecclesiastes says, it's good for a man to do that. And they were, they were looking at it. But West Texas, it, the weather there is really unpredictable. It's flat, and anything can blow in at any time, and it blow right out. There aren't mountains and things to hold it in. And uh, that's what was happening that particular day. You never know, though. It's, it's not like he could pull out his iPhone and, and, and check what's the weather say. Uh-oh, I see a little, a little you know, picture of clouds and, and raindrops coming out. It looks like it's going to rain. He couldn't do that. The weather was somewhat unpredictable. He wasn't a man that would be watching the weather on TV. They just had a little black and white TV that had like three channels. So it was just kind of read it the way you see it. And clouds were building on the horizon, but this was often the case. Uh, but they, they began to roll in more and more. It got darker, and it kind of got the atmosphere sort of uh, became a, a tint of green. This is what happens um, in, in West Texas when it's about to hail or there's going to be a tornado or something like that. It, and it's, it sounds strange that the air would be green, but it does have a greenish tint. It's very subtle, but it's there. And that was starting uh, to happen. Now, uh, in, in the spring in, in Texas, West Texas, it often hails. Hail is, is devastating to a cotton crop. It's not going to, it's, it's rarely going to survive a hail storm. And as they were standing out there looking at the cotton, they, had, they actually had to take shelter because within a matter of 15 to 20 minutes, a hail storm hit his harvest of cotton. And as they're taking shelter, he's watching it happen. When it's over, it blows out, which can happen in a matter of a half hour. It's gone. He comes out, Granny's standing next to him, and he's just looking at the field. And he's visibly upset. He's visibly emotional. His face is red. You can imagine he has a very rugged uh, face. Being out in the sun all the time, uh, lines on his face. He's older now, but it's his face is as red as what my granny describes, and and his eyes watered up. And but he didn't uh, he didn't say anything. He stood there for a while. He looked at it, and the story goes. He said, "Well, I reckon we better go in and eat." So they turn around. They go in. Of course, Granny cooks up the, the meal that she cooks of, of, you know, meat and potatoes and green beans or whatever, and they eat. Now, I tell you that story because I, I want you to think about this question. What are you afraid of? What worries you? What causes you anxiety? That's what I want to talk about today. Cheerful, huh? It's important, though. What, what kinds of things... Get your mind focused on something bad that could happen. What are you really afraid of? Now, I know some of you aren't going to tell me some of your deepest fears, but why don't you just shout out some, uh, you know, that you want to share right now. Anybody, out loud. What, do you, what causes you fear and worry? Schoolwork. Schoolwork. Okay. Yeah. What? Failure. Failure. Yeah. Yeah, Phil. Hmm? The future. Okay, yeah. Uncertainty of future. School. So much is, is hinging on that. Failure. Something that we... It can be devastating. We don't, we don't want to feel that. We want to avoid that. What else? Money. That's huge. Losing someone. I... I I heard it over there, but I didn't see who said it. Losing someone. Thank you. Yeah. Everyone turn. Look. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I identify with that one. I, I tend to worry about that. I worry about car accidents. I find my mind drifting. To that. I have to, it's, it's weird. Car accident with me or someone in my family. That, I don't, that, that causes worry in me. What else? A couple more things. Hmm? Yeah, job security. That's another huge one. Money, job security, 
losing a job, finding a job. Anything else? A couple more things? Something someone hasn't said or thought of yet? What about raising your kids? Um, you ever, ever, if you have kids, think about, uh, are you raising your kids right? Are you doing everything for them that you can possibly do so that they can flourish? Did I say that right? Flourish. Um, they can flourish. They can be healthy. Uh, raising kids, uh, finances, jobs, you, you guys said that. What about safety? You know, I, I think about getting in a car accident. Well, what about safety of your children? And if you have children. I mean, our world's not the way it was. You know, when I was a kid, I ran around the neighborhood, up and down the alleys. My parents didn't know where I was. It, it, and that's, how, that's how it was. All my friends did that. And then we had to be in by dark to eat dinner. And that's, that's not that way now. We don't let our kids run around the neighborhoods, up and down. We had alleyways. I don't know if we don't have that here. But, I mean, you, we don't. Now we worry about the safety of our kids, don't we? Really. Are they going to be um, hurt? Yeah, health. What about health? We worry about health. Uh, cancer. Am I going to get cancer? I have people in my family who have cancer. Am I going to get cancer? Weight. Am I, gonna, am I the right weight? Am I a healthy weight? Can I get to be a healthy weight? What do I need to do to be a healthy weight? What, you know, that, that's, that's a big deal. We know it's a big deal because we see it in magazines all the time or on Yahoo News. Yahoo News is amazing. It has the ability to make you worried if you're not worried. It's amazing. It just pops up. All those little pictures come up. They're designed to draw you in and create anxiety in you. Five things you should never eat. You know? An airplane is missing off the face of the earth. You know, what happened to it? I don't know. Read this. Find out. It could happen to you. It's designed to worry you. It plays into that. Magazines do the same thing. There's no end to the list of things we can worry about. None. And aren't you glad we're thinking of them right now? There's no end to that list. And why is that? Well, I believe the answer is in Genesis. So get Genesis out. The answer, and I, listen, I, I'm getting a lot of, uh, of help uh, on this sermon. I, I, it's not a bunch of brilliance, uh, you know, for me. I know you think this is brilliant. Uh, but I, there's, <laughs> there's a Dax 29 church in England, and uh, I listen to their uh, podcast. I suggest them highly, if you can listen to a sermon that sounds like a documentary on PBS, uh, British accent, it's good morning, it's that kind of thing. Uh, if you like that, then listen to them. But really, if you can get past that, I, I got uh, uh, some really good teaching on worry and anxiety from a guy named um, Johnny, uh, what's his last name again? Oh, Woodrow in England. And um, So I want to go right to Genesis. Look at Genesis 1 through, uh, where am I? Oh yeah, Genesis 1 through 19, uh, or 1 through 5. No, where am I? Genesis 3, 1 through 5. Okay, there we go. My goodness. Um, All right. Let's read. Now the serpent was more crafty than the other other beasts of the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I want you to uh, listen to what the serpent's doing here. Listen to what he's saying. The serpent is more crafty than the other beasts of the field. And he's speaking to, uh, to the woman. And he says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? God? And the, and the woman said, we may eat of it, but we, but we, uh, of, of any tree, but we shall not eat of this one and not even touch it. The serpent said, you won't surely die. Listen to what, God, what the serpent is doing. God isn't who he says he is. 
immediately he attacks the character of God. God isn't who he says he is. God is the guy, God is the one you should be afraid of. You should be protecting yourself from him. He's not who he says he is. That's what the devil is saying. He's lying to you, this God. He doesn't want you to be like him. He begins, not only does he attack the character of God, but he begins to attack the identity of Adam and Eve. Right there in the very beginning in the garden, this happens. He doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you to be wise like God is. God's afraid. You're a threat to God. And he knows it. And that's why he doesn't want you to get this wisdom. He doesn't want you to eat the tree, uh, eat the fruit of the tree. He doesn't want you to eat the tree either. It's not what you're supposed to eat, not a dinosaur. So eat the fruit. I watched running with dinos or walking with them or whatever yesterday. So there were some tree-eating ones evidently. Um, you're a threat to him. He says this. He creates. I mean, it's amazing the story he creates. The truth that he fabricates is not really truth, but he, he puts it off as truth. He says it with authority. It's like a bold-faced lie. When I was a kid, I thought it was bald-faced. I was like, why is it so bad to say a lie with a bald face? I don't understand, but... Bold-faced lie. Have you ever had someone look you right in the eyes and tell you a lie? It happens to me all the time. I'm a middle school teacher. I didn't throw the clay. I saw you. The little ball of clay came out of your fingers. Unless I am, you know, hallucinating, I saw it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I contact. You want to, and part of me wants to believe the, the lie. Because they're so bold about how they say it. The presentation's really important. And the devil's being really bold here. The serpent is, he's telling a bold-faced lie. See, instead of being watchful in the garden that God had put them in, instead of being watchful and vigilant in the garden that God had put them in, the devil's trying to change what they're watchful for. He's trying to change that. He's saying, you need to watch out now. Don't, watch, don't worry about the garden, okay? It'll take care of itself. You need to be watchful against God. He's changing their focus. He's taking their eyes off of something that God put it on, and he's putting it on what? Themselves. You need to watch out for yourself. He wants them to be vigilant for themselves. He wants them to watch out for themselves and even if God, uh, and, and even from God, which is it's an amazing claim, God that created the universe, oh, he's, he's not who he says he was. But they, they're getting drawn in. Because God, he's telling them, God doesn't want the best for you. Let me tell you how you can get the best for you. And why did Eve believe the serpent anyway? I mean, I, the, the Bible says she believed him. She was deceived. And then Adam, standing there, Duh. not doing anything, and going right along with it, being passive. Why is that? Why, why did she even believe it? Was it because the lie was so convincing? Was it because it had, you know, a little bit of truth in it? They latched onto it. Was it because she couldn't help it? Was it because, uh, you know, she's, she was a sinner, Adam's a sinner? It happened because, well, she believed it because she wanted to, basically is what it comes down to. If you believe a lie, you believe it because you want to. It's a heart issue. It's always a heart issue when you believe a lie. It's always a heart issue. Deep down, in, you're believing it because you want to. So listen carefully to the devil's lie that he crafted. I love that he uses the word crafty. He, he crafted this thing. It's, it's, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a, a sublimely sort of, ugly, in an ugly way, a beautiful lie. I mean, it's, it's beautifully constructed. Yeah? I mean, it's not, a, it's not a good thing, but it's beautifully constructed. He tells them this created thing, the fruit, is going 
eaten by a created thing, the woman, is going to make you like a creator. This is going to make you wise. If you just have, this is something, it's mysterious, like here it is. If you just find out what's there, it's going to open up a whole new world to you. But there's a, there's a flaw in that argument, though. If the, if, the, if the fruit's created and they're created, how are they going to become like the Creator? We do that a lot. We take created things and then we try to rub it together with another created thing and then so that we can be like a Creator. But it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't make any sense. How is, that, how is the fruit going to make them wise? How is that possible? And didn't God create the fruit? And didn't God create them? Ultimately, it would be God who would give them any kind of knowledge or wisdom. And God wanted it that way, and he wanted to give it to them how he wanted to give it to them. He wanted them to have the knowledge he wanted them to have. And he wanted, them, he wanted it to unfold the way he wanted it to, by a life of walking with them in the garden in the world that, they create, he, that he had created for them. So we do that too, though. So instead of a, uh, of, it may not be like a fruit, uh, actual fruit literally, but, but we will take created things. And, we try, and what we try to do then is anticipate, we try to become a, like the creator, able to know all things, able to anticipate everything that could possibly come our way, come down the pike. We want to be able to do that. Like, that we actually think there's a way, if we just work hard enough, that we can predict what's going to happen and then we can keep it from happening. Or that we can make something happen that we want to happen. That we can do that on our own. And we do that with a lot of things. And, and, these are, and they're all good things. Because God never said that that fruit was bad. God's creation was good. It was good. So they weren't eating a bad fruit, they were eating a good fruit. And they were taking a good thing and they were sinning with it. And we do the same thing. I mean, think about the internet. That's, that's, a, that's a, a, a place we do that, isn't it? Where, where we will, um, well, we do research, right? I say re- research because, I mean, we don't use any kind of uh, uh, you know, methods or, or any kind of, you know, scientific method or, or a method of research that, that, that someone might learn if they, if they went to school and, and, and studied it, all right? People that really do research. Our research is Google. Like, you just type in something. What could go wrong today? Bing! It's going to come up. You could die today. I promise you it's there. I, I haven't looked it up, but I bet you it's there. We, we, we just look things up. That's how, Why? Because we've got, to st- we've got to stay on top of this. We've got to stay on top of things. I don't want bad things to happen to me. I'm going to make it not. I'm going to get on there. I'm going to anticipate something bad, and I'm going to head it off. It's all up to me. It was all up to Adam and Eve in the garden. Whew, boy, if we, don't, if we don't eat this fruit, we're not going to be like God, and we're, not going to, we're going to be behind on things, and we're not going to be able to, we're not going to know things. Oh, no. And, that, and we do the same thing. I mean, think about, think about all the possible things that you can worry about. TV. Should you let your kids watch TV when they're little babies or not? Does TV rot your brain? I tell Maddox that sometimes it's just because he's a literal thinker and he's imagining his brain rotting, you know. Not, sounds mean, but if you got to know him, you wouldn't think it's mean at all. He can handle it. Does it, rot, does it actually make you less intelligent? Or is, is that just sort of a myth? You know? I don't know. I better get on the internet and research that and find out. Cell phones. Should I hold them up to my ear? Or am I, am I giving my brain a tumor? I don't know. Some people say I am. Some people say I'm not. I don't know. I better get on the internet. I better research that quick. But when I'm on the internet, I better be careful because is this really hurting my eyes? I better dim the screen. Or I better go buy that other kind of screen. Microwaves. Should I stare at the microwave while my coffee's heating up? Should I even have a microwave? Some people say yes. Some people say no. I better stay on top of the research. My family could die. Almonds. I did actually 
I just wanted to, I wanted to know what the internet said about almonds. Because I thought, that's a random thing. There's almonds in my, in my cabinet. So I looked up almonds. Turns out there's a lot of material about almonds on the internet. And some, and some of it's really, I mean, it's kind of scary. You could die. It depends on what kind of almonds you buy. If you go to Trader Joe's, you might live. Those, evidently their almonds are good. But it depends on how they're washed, whether they're roasted. Do they, you know, if you eat too many almonds, you could get too much selenium or something like that. And that's toxic. But if you, or too much fat because they're high in calorie. But if you don't eat them, then you don't get all this other nutrients and stuff like that. So, all right, almonds. That's a scary thing. You could spend a lot of time researching about that. You, and, and listen, the people that I, that I read, the research I read, <clears throat> were, they were they're serious about this. They're not playing around. They're like, man, I'm glad I got this. I ran to Trader Joe's and I bought 15 jars of almond butter. So this is what we do. All good things. Internet's a great thing. I'm glad we have it. Research is a good thing. Trader Joe's is a great thing. I love it. They have good carrots. They have good coffee. I love Trader Joe's. I love all these good things. The fruit was good too. Okay? You get my point. We also use planning and organizing. We try to make sure that we plan, if we plan well enough. Now, these are the active people, okay? Active people, the people who are proactive. They, they like, they plan. If they just plan enough, uh, they can keep things, bad things from happening. If you organize, now planning's good. But they're going to keep bad things from happening by planning. And they're going to make good things happen by planning and organizing, right? Okay, that's not me. I'm more the other guy. I'm the passive guy. I'm going to not think about bad things that could happen by not planning, I'm just going to be passive and let things happen to me as they go. Because after all, if I plan, the plan might not work. That worries me. I don't want to do that. So I'm not going to plan. I am learning how to be a little more organized and plan, though. Um, and then some people just do it actively. Like, um, if some people worry by being passive. If I think too much into it, it will worry me. Okay? So those would be the people that would be afraid to do research. I don't want to find out what could, what's out there. It scares me. With much knowledge comes much sorrow. It says it in the Bible. But then there's the active worrier. This worries me. I'm going to get to work. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to make stuff happen. If I just get to work, when in doubt, get back to work. Roll up your sleeves, get to work. I'm going to keep. If I'm worried, it's just best if I just work at something. So I'm going to keep bad things from happening that way. So I'm the active worrier. You know? But it never works. Right? Because we always think, then I can rest easy. If I just get this knowledge and I, and I can, um, you know, successfully anticipate any problem and then uh, solve that problem before it gets to me, or if I'm passive and just don't think about it, I can rest easy now. But it doesn't work that way. It does not. I, I don't, look around. Are people resting easy? I mean, we're worried to death. Worrying actually kills you. It does. Ultimately, it, it, it kills you physically. It doesn't work. And why? I mean, you can't just talk yourself off the ledge. I mean, you can, but you're going to go back to it, you know? You can't, just, you can't just sing that song, Don't Worry, Be Happy to Yourself. Bobby Farron. Okay, I can't whistle with that. You can't. That doesn't work. Don't worry, be happy. doesn't work. But why doesn't it work? Because your fear and, and worry actually comes from a good place. There's actually something good about it. Your fear, that's why. Your fear and your worry comes from a good place. And I want to show you that. Let's look in Genesis 2. I'm going to give you a chance to look at it because I want you to see it. Genesis 2, 15, verse 15. I want to read this. All right. Um, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Keep it, work it and keep it means to be watchful and vigilant. That's what it means. It means it also means to work and cultivate. Okay, but that's what that word means: to be watchful and vigilant. That's what he put him there for. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, "You may surely eat of every tree of the garden." But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. 
For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So he put the man there to be watchful, to guard it. And he gave the woman to the man to help him do that. So they're both to be watchful, vigilant, to guard something. And to be watchful and vigilant is an image-bearing quality, an image-bearing characteristic. So the very thing that your worry and your anxiety comes from is from this. This is why you have it. This is why you are watchful. This is why you guard. This is why you protect. This is why you're vigilant. And God was the first watchful one. He was the first vigilant one. Because he, gave, he put them in the garden and gave, put boundaries on the garden, gave them good stuff to eat, gave them commands as a loving father would do and told them where to go and where, where not to go, what they could eat and how they could live. And he was watchful of that. He's the first watchful, vigilant one. And so really we just bear his image. Because remember when the devil said, you would be, he knows you'll be like him if you eat the fruit. Well, they were like him. He made them, the man and the woman, in his image. The Bible clearly says that. They were already like him. A lo- many times someone is going to lie to you or a situation or you will lie to yourself using the truth and then just flipping it. It's like so easy. That's what so, that is what is so uh, brilliant about the devil's argument. Because, now, have you ever looked at a word, have you ever read like one of those, uh, a, like a, a little passage someone has written, it's kind of like a neat little riddle, and they're like, here, read this. Um, and you read it, and some of the words are flipped around, but you're still able to read it. And you go through it, and you're like, oh, I recognize the word, even though it's flipped around. Well, that's what the devil does. He flips it around, and then you read it, and you think, Oh, yeah, it looks right. It looks right. Why? Because it resembles the opposite. There's something about it that resembles it. He says you, he knows you'll be like him. Well, they were like him. So he's, he's attacking their, their very identity and God's very character. And so, but then, then we see the very first sign of worry right there in the garden. The very first sign of what... Um, some people call hypervigilance. Like a good, that's, that's kind of a good word for worry. Because vigilance is good, hypervigilance is not good. That's when it becomes twisted. Because Eve says, she tells the devil in this passage we read earlier, God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Okay? But God didn't say that. Eve said that. Eve said, don't even touch it. God said, do not eat of this tree. He didn't say, don't touch it. She said that. And we do that, don't we? I mean, instead of being vigilant and watchful of the very words that God actually said, she kind of paraphrased and kind of threw in her own, uh, added a little to his words. So they became hypervigilant. What about, what do we do this in? I mean, I can think of a lot of examples, but like, uh, I think alcohol is a big one. Better just never to touch it. Um, I don't know. Someone in my family uh, was an alcoholic. It's better if I just don't touch it. I might cause my brother to stumble. I just better. Not. It's just better. It's a good rule for me if I just never touch it. I'm just not going to touch it. Bad, uh, bad doctrine can be that way. And, and really, uh, this is kind of relevant to us because as, as Luke's teaching about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we will find ourselves, some of us, wanting to err on the side of caution. That's how we'll say it. Error on the side of caution. I would rather not freely see 
the, uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit being practiced or in an operation around me, I would rather see that it not happening than to see it abused. I would rather err on the, caution, on the side of caution. Better not touch it. Music and movies. Better not, it's better if I just never, it, I just have a hard rule. I don't watch our movies. If it has an R on it, I don't care if it, what it is. I don't care if it's the passion of Christ. I'm not going to watch it. It's R. Better not touch it. That's what's going to keep me safe. Better not listen to secular music. I better just go ahead and listen to Christian music. If it has the Christian brand, I'm safe. I'll listen to worship music. That's safe. All good things. Caution is a good thing, by the way. Caution is a good thing. God created them to be watchful. But what's happening is, is you're trying to take a created thing, rub it with another created thing, and become a creator. Able to anticipate any problem that might come your way and then keep it from happening. I do this a lot. And I don't know if Rebecca knows this because I kind of like, I don't want her to know this weird thing about me, but I lock the door a lot at night. Sounds weird, doesn't it? You can really only lock a door once, right? Not me. I unlock it, lock it again. And then I go back, 20 minutes later, unlock it, lock it again. I want to make sure it's locked weird like I'll check it three or four times at night <laughs> what am I trying to do well I'm, I'm keeping my family from danger right I can always reason this out right I'm being a good dad I'm I, I'm keeping them from 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 some imminent you know danger someone could break into the house right these are real fears by the way I mean we you know I've heard people say I have a cloud following me around well often we do I mean, I think about my granny and great-granddaddy Austin, and there, is all, there was often a cloud hanging over, literally, ready to drop hail on their uh, cotton. It's a real thing. We really do have things to be afraid of. We have, it, things, bad things can happen. Someone could break in. And I always remember those things, because, see, I'm a real car door locker, too, and dome light checker, because I don't want that dome light to be on and my battery run down. <sighs> what would I do? I have work the next morning. Am I going to make it to work? I might be late. What's going to happen then? Probably not. <laughs> Probably nothing. But I, I don't want that to happen. I'm going to keep that from happening. I'm going to go and I check the dome light and I open the door. Wait. Open. Is it on? No. Wait. It stays on for a minute and I stand there and watch it. It fades. Okay. I can go in now. Headlight. I do the same thing with the headlights. <laughs> David's shaking his head. Now see, David, he's going to bring this up later. And he's going to encourage me. And, I, and I, I'm glad. I'm thankful for that. The rest of you will forget. I'm glad to. Um, but he'll encourage me not to be that way. I do that with my dome light. do that with my car door. And, and guess what? The, there was one time when I, we didn't lock our car doors and someone broke in and they stole something out of our trunk. See? That's what I tell you. So all those times of, of checking my door, it really worked, didn't it? That was very effective. Still got something stolen out of my car. I mean, we live in a fallen world. That's why we have things to be worried about. And our fallen world will support and encourage our worry. That's where we get Yahoo News from and, and magazines and things like that. And uh, blogs and all the, all the just stuff. I mean, if you want to worry, man, you don't have to go far to find it. I mean, you, you really don't. It'll encourage it. It'll say it's a good thing. You're being watchful. You're being, that's good. Watch out for yourself. You know, like the sign at, at the YMCA that I told you about. You are your job. That's what it said. Your job is you. That's what it said. Your job is you. Because if you're not filled up, you can't help anyone. Now, it sounds good, but it's really flipped around. If you are your job, that means you have to save you. And that means you have to keep bad things from happening to you. It's all up to you. And that means you get to take ownership of this fallen world... Uh, so good luck with that. Jesus is the second Adam. And if you're not a Christian, this may sound a little strange, but Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, the Bible says. He's the firstborn. He's the first resurrected from the dead. He is the faithful Adam. He is the Adam that sees the world the way that Adam was meant to see it. He is the one who sees a world fathered by his father. A world that is created and taken care of by God. 
That is who Jesus is. Look up Matthew 6.25, uh, and we're going to look at, at 6.25 through 34. <clears throat> All right. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not more of more value than are not are you not more value of more value than they that is hard to read and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life and why are you anxious about clothing consider the lilies of the field how they grow they neither toil nor spin yet i tell you that even solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these but if god so clothed the grass of the fields which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles uh, seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious itself sufficient for the day is its own trouble he sees a father who's watchful and keeps his creation clothed and fed that's that's how god see, that's how jesus is seeing the world he's seeing a father who's in complete control all the way to the very hours allotted to our lives he tells us that if you can't even add an hour to your life why are you worried about these other big things? You can't even make yourself live an hour longer. You can't add a hair to your head. You can't take a, make one white or black. You can't, you can't do that small thing. Why are you worried about these big things, he said. But Kevin, there are people who don't have clothes. There are people who are uh, starving. There are people who don't have food. There are people who are going hungry. There are people who have a failing, a, a, a failing crop, and so they're destitute. There are people who are, under, who are going through famines. There are people uh, without jobs. There are people who've lost a job. There are people who can't find a job. What, uh, are, isn't this just a sort of uh, silver lining kind of pot at the end of the rainbow and, and, and especially if you're not a Christian, this might really look like that's what Jesus is, is doing. He's kind of just like, hey, listen, this is, life's okay. You know, just sing a happy song. Think happy thoughts. You know, fluffy thoughts. Um, it'll all get better in the end. It'll all work out. This is, that's just things to kind of comfort you. If that works for you, then fine. Just, you know, just comfort yourself with that. You know, if you're a Christian then this, is, this still might be a really tough one for you. Because it may be a hard one to apply to your daily life. How can I actually make this make sense for me because I'm going, to, I'm going without right now? And are you saying, Kevin, that, that Jesus is, is detached from reality? I mean, is it just in our perception of the world? Do we just need to perceive things differently and see things differently? Is that, is that what you're saying? No, I'm not saying that at all. In fact, remember, I'm not going to have you turn there, but many of you are familiar with the passage where Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content in every situation. I've been in want. I've, been, I've, been, I've had provision. I have uh, been hungry. I've been well fed. I, ha I have found the secret of being content. So he doesn't deny that thing. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He also, and he doesn't deny that that happened. He doesn't change his perception about it. He says, yeah, it happened. And he also uh, acknowledges the fact that he has had times in his life of great provision and great blessing. And he doesn't deny that either. And you know what? Neither does Jesus deny that because didn't Jesus suffer? Didn't he suffer real things like us? Wasn't Jesus tempted in every way that we're tempted? The Bible says he was. Didn't Jesus suffer uh, times of want? Didn't Jesus have times of, of lack? Didn't he lack friends at times? Didn't he, didn't he get 
to a point where he actually prayed, uh, let, let this cup, if there's any way, let this cup pass for me. Didn't he see what was coming ahead? And, and didn't he have just as much reason uh, to worry and doubt as we do? The answer is yes. The Bible says he did. Because he was fully man. So Jesus isn't asking us to do that. Jesus is asking us not to uh, refuse to acknowledge things that are real. But he is also asking us to look to something else that is also real. His kingdom. And that's exactly what he says uh, at the end when he says, um, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So he's asking you, take your eyes off of these real things. Don't deny they're real. But I want you to look at something else that's real. A kingdom that I'm a king of. In this kingdom, Jesus is king. In this kingdom, get this, we're clothed with his righteousness. Later, or earlier, he says, isn't life more important than the body? Well, he's not just talking about, so don't worry about it. If you've got clothes, just run around without clothes. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about real life, eternal life. The life that now uh, Roy is getting to taste in a way that he never got to taste in his earthly life. Uh, well, I'm talking about Luke's dad again. Um, if you just think of it that way, this is life. So we're clo- in this life, we're clothed with his righteousness. Oh, and no one can take those clothes uh, away from you. No one can touch that. In this kingdom, we're fed by Jesus. He's the bread of life. So we never go hungry. We never go hungry in this kingdom. We do not have to go hungry. In this kingdom, we're considered sons and daughters of God. So we're adopted. And so now everything that belongs to the son, to the firstborn from the dead, the, the second Adam, it belongs to us too. It's, it's an inheritance. It's, it's ours as well because we live in this house now that is uh, ruled by a good God, a gracious God, a God who's in complete control, and a God who calls us now his children. This is a, and this is what Jesus is seeing because remember Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. He referred to God as his Father and because of our relationship with Jesus, we actually share that reality that he's our Father. God is our Father. And it's real. It's a real thing. It's not just a nice sentiment. It's not just something nice and fluffy to think on. Jesus really did die a death on a cross and he really was resurrected uh, and, it, and he really is sitting at the right hand of the Father because he ascended into heaven with witnesses watching. So this is real stuff. So when you start looking to that, you start looking at that, that real thing, those real things, it's real hard to look at that and look at the, uh, the other things that cause us worry. It's, it, it really, it's impossible to look at both of them at the same time. I mean, this is a life that begins now and then continues for eternity. Because even in Jesus' day when he was walking the earth, he saw and looked around and saw bad things. That's why he would heal someone, because someone was sick. Or cast the devil out because someone was oppressed. But yet he still looked and saw the fields were being clothed by his father and were more beautiful than all of the splendor of Solomon. He saw that. And he recognized it, and he acknowledged it. So even now, even though it, the Bible says that, that we see as through a glass dimly, but then there will be a day when we see face to face, that's how we see. We see this new kingdom not fully uh, restored to the Creator yet, but on its way, and we get to be a part of that. And nothing at all can ever take that away. So then, uh, as I close here, I'm going to look at Philippians. I'd like you to look at that with me just as we close. Last scripture to look up. Because the question might be coming to your mind. Okay, now, um, you know, maybe, you're, maybe I understand that a little bit better, Kevin. Maybe I get that a little better. Uh, Jesus saw how his father sees. Um, I need to take my eyes off of myself. I need to put my eyes on him. Okay, but how, does, how do I really do that? Well, you know, how do I grab hold of that? What can I do right now 
as we begin worship. What can I do right now over lunch or later today? I want to read Philippians chapter 4. Uh, verse 4. Okay. All right. This is stuff we can do. Like, we can do this in, in just a minute. The worship team is going to be up here, and then, like, we can do this <laughs> now. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So that's what we're about to do. As the worship team comes up, we've got um, uh, two tables in the back with, with some bread and juice. Um, and, we, and you can go back there anytime during... Let's go ahead and stand um, as the worship team's coming up. You can go back at any time with, with uh, a, a family member, a community member, a friend, whoever. Go back there. And, um, and what we're going to do, actually, is uh, we're just going to do what this says. We're just going to do this. We're going to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He says it twice. Rejoice, rejoice. I can imagine him saying that. Again, I say rejoice. He's not saying rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. I can imagine him being passionate, saying rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Did you hear me? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. See, he doesn't just leave it there. It's not a don't worry, be happy. It's don't be anxious, but pray with thanksgiving. Be thankful. Let your requests be known to God. And then what? The peace of God, which surpasses anything we could understand, is going to guard our hearts and our minds. Guard. There's that word guard. He's the watchful one. He's the first one who is watchful. He's vigilant. He's watchful for our hearts. He's surrounding us. He's a shield about us, guarding our hearts and our minds in Christ. And then, last part, finally, brothers, he gives us all kinds of things to do. Let's do this today. Whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything, any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things.